This podcast is brought to you by Toasted Marshmallow Adventures Studio. Contact them at gettoasted at toastedmarshmallowadventures.com for all of your podcast production needs. Good morning and welcome to Not Everyone Gets a Trophy with Amy and Mo. Good morning. Welcome to Not Everyone Gets a Trophy. It is uh, the end of October and it's crazy out there. It's raining. It's Halloween's coming up. Life is getting crazy as we approach all these holidays. All the seasons, Black Friday, Thanksgiving, birthdays, for some reason, life tends to get very crazy. But welcome to our show. Not everyone gets a trophy. Um, thank you so much for listening. This is has been an amazing journey. We are going to keep pushing through because we are getting a lot of good feedback. And even though we even if we didn't, we still want to be able to do this. Uh, because at the end of the day, it's, uh, we're showing up, even though uh, not everyone gets a trophy. Um, today, we get the pleasure of speaking uh, to somebody who is uh, battling uh, cancer um, through a system that perhaps is is set to fail us. Uh, if you don't have the right insurance, no insurance, and maybe it would be better if you didn't have no insurance and and somehow would end up with at least Medicaid. But if you're in that bracket of, uh, you know, you make too much for Medicaid, but not enough to get good ins- health insurance, you kind of end up falling through the cracks. Um, so I wanted to bring in somebody who can speak more of this. Anika Garcia. I uh, met her about a year ago and I met her prior to her getting cancer. So I'm bringing her in to tell her story, to kind of talk about her experience as she is going through through the storm. She's not out of the storm, not going into, but she's in the midst of of this battle. Um, so with that being said, uh, good morning, Anika, and thank you for being here with us today. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you. Um, when did you find out? What were you? Um... Like most women, I was just doing my monthly self-check, large mass, instantly went to my primary care physician. She wanted a mammogram right away, but because we were in the very beginning of COVID, getting a doctor's appointment was rough, but my physician was really concerned, which I was grateful for. She ended up getting me a mammogram within a week that led to having to have biopsies which also was hard to get an appointment for. So I couldn't find anything in the Valley and neither could my physician. So they sent me up to Sun Valley. I had to go to the hospital up there to get biopsies. So, so is this a monthly checkup that you wouldn't, or a yearly checkup or what made you do this checkup? Um, Monthly checkups for women. Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. Sorry, you're not a woman. So. <laughs> but it's good to know because I have a daughter, so this is yes, good stuff. And you'll get to a certain age where you'll need to do your own physical exams downstairs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I forget you're young. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 
did you did you know prior to going in that there was that, that it feel different or you just yeah it's okay. like a, it feels like a large marble okay yeah and it's really close to the skin the mass okay so you go in and immediately physicians worried she wants a mammogram right away the mammogram just shows that there are several masses so then they need an, uh, biopsies they needed to test that tissue to see if it was cancerous okay uh, were you leaving work before work, after work? Talk to me about what's going through your mind before and after. It was my day off when I got my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. That it's like a punch in the gut. Okay. The big C word. Somebody tells you, you have cancer. I think most people instantly go to, "Oh my god, I'm gonna die." Yeah, sort of mode. Mm-hmm. It's not where I went, but I was definitely frightened. It's the unknown. It's the not knowing, and then the lengthy list of what's going to come next after bi- the biopsies, after the diagnosis. It's okay, okay, now it's chemo. You don't know what that's going to look like, what that's going to do to your body. Then it's surgery, and then it's radiation. And then hopefully you're cancer-free and it hasn't spread. So at the time, uh, what were you doing at work? Like, where were you working at? Interface Sanctuary. Okay. And what's what do you do there? I'm the shelter manager, so I run swing three days a week. I get them... Checked in, do some alcohol and drug assessments, uh, some mental health evaluations. If somebody's in crisis, we try to evaluate that situation and see how best we can help and then make sure everybody's fed, make sure everybody gets a shower if they want, if they can, and then get them to bed. And from my understanding, you did have insurance through your employer, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, was that a good thing or a bad thing in terms of looking back would you have done anything different? Honestly, I just picked what I thought was comparable for me at the time. I didn't, like most people, we don't think we're going to get cancer. So you <laughs> and just if pick, you do, then yeah, you're right? kind of hyper-focused on something you shouldn't. Right. Yeah. So I just picked up a plan that was comprehensive for me at the time. I didn't think that I was underinsured until it came time to start treatment. Okay. And what did that look like? In terms of co-payments, I mean. Uh, when I first went in and my insurance wasn't enough, they said we can't basically serve you until you get a more comprehensive insurance plan. So I had to buy private insurance and I submitted it. I honestly didn't look at the fine print. I just knew that it covered what I needed it to, which was not pre-existing conditions, but it really just covered a chemotherapy okay and surgery and radiation it was probably bottom tier i don't know what do they call it the bronze but it was something i could afford on top of what i was already paying for and i submitted it and i never heard a word since they just said okay we'll see you back in a couple of weeks wow so i mean one of the things that we always focus is gotta have insurance right yeah and and when once you even get the insurance to hear that Listen, your your insurance just isn't enough. Where do you go from there? I honestly contemplated and I told my husband, let's get a divorce. It'd be cheaper and better if we divorce. I can get Medicaid and all of this will be covered. Instead of stretching our budget already to cover this new insurance policy. Yeah. So so you had to get two different insurance to cover for the, for them to even tell you, yeah, let's do this. Like they would not go forward with treatment is that what i'm hearing or mm-hmm. i was supposed to be treated april 26th 
my insurance wasn't enough. I said, I will get more insurance, I guess, because they weren't going to treat me until. Wow. I even offered to pay cash. And then they still wouldn't do it? She wasn't. Yeah, she was pretty reluctant. She's like, that's not feasible. You can't pay cash every time. And I said, well, I don't want to pay cash every time. I want to pay cash now to get started. And then I'll figure out insurance here in a minute, you know, when I can. I was willing to like blow all my savings to pay for as many treatments as I could until I figured out insurance. And then they were just like, yeah, no. Well, they, I think they were thinking of me, honestly. They're like, that's not feasible. It's $9,000 a treatment. You need to be treated every week for the next seven months. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly it's a lot of money, but. So what's happening? That's what's happening on the back end of things in terms of your family, right? You're married. Mm-hmm. You have a daughter. Mm-hmm. How old is your daughter? She's six. She's six. How, how how do you break down the news to family members, friends, colleagues? Like, where where does your mind go from there? Um, we opened a lot of bottles of, <laughs> uh, of prosecco and wine, and uh, there were a lot, just a lot of tear filled phone calls. Everybody's scared right away. It's the fear of the unknown. You have no idea what's going to happen next. Do you think that people automatically go to, you're going to die? I think if they've experienced that in their life, if they've known somebody to die of cancer, that's where they go. That's not where I went. I was like, I'm going to be fine. (laughs) I'm very confident in modern science and technology and how far cancer research has come. So I wasn't scared. And, and where, and then, so you, which one was the hardest conversation to have? Who was hardest to tell? Yeah, yeah. I think my dad. Okay. Yeah. He's lost his mother to cancer, not breast cancer. And so I think he went to a bad place. So tell me more about the conversation in terms of, like, did you think about the conversation? Did you just go for it? Did you oh, go? Oh, no, I just blurted it out. I was like, it's cancer. Oof. Wow. I like tear the band-aid off. Completely. Yeah. Okay. It's let's get it over with. Yeah. Get it over with, get the tears out, and let's move on with our lives. Let's start treatment and see how it goes. Wow. And, and in terms of our system, right? How do you how do you think it's it's going with insurances, with hospitals? How good is it your experience of being able to navigate the system. Having lived here my whole life, I trust our local hospitals. So that's as far as I've, any experience I've ever had. I've never been ill. Uh, as far as insurance goes, I've always been, I've always felt it was broken. The insurance system, the medical healthcare system. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, I'm just starting to wrap my head around you have insurance, but it's just not good enough. It's yeah. not, it's not, you didn't get the right one. This is the plight of the working class. It's poor. We can work 40 hours a week. This whole American dream. I mean, insurance premiums for like the lowest possible tier. So it's not very comprehensive coverage is still like $400 a month. That's most people's Medicaid payment or um, social security or disability. I mean, how do you, how do they afford it? Yeah. Because you can't get you can't get any other services if you're in this middle class where you can't afford insurance, but not really. Right. And you're just hoping that you're healthy enough to die of old age or I don't know, get hit by a bus or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely it. Like I say this all the time, especially for the population that we work with. 
don't get sick. Don't do anything. These ambulance rides are like $5,000. How do they expect anybody to pay that? Yeah. I was fortunate enough to have, you know, my daughter had a heart surgery. And I remember we had a fly out from, from Boise to San Diego. And when I got to San Diego, I started saying, oh, my gosh, how am I going to pay for this? Right. And I remember calling their financial people at the hospital and they're like, you're already close to a million. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, I'm going to go bankrupt. Yeah. People, Americans go bankrupt all the time. Medical bankruptcy is the number one bankruptcy in the country. I had an appendectomy, an emergency appendectomy in October. And I was in the hospital for less than 24 hours. And the bill was like $55,000. Wow. And I had no insurance. So they slowly will let you make payments. I'm like, you're going to take my $75 a week for the rest of my life? (laughs) It's like a student. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to live long. Now I have cancer. So you're not getting your money. Wow. Talk to me about a little bit about the services that you have uh, in terms of working with social workers, the system within the system of of hospitals. How has that been with you? As a social worker, I'm interested in terms of how well are we doing? <laughs> I did not have one social worker reach out to me at all since I was diagnosed, which I know that they're supposed to. I have a friend who's an oncology social worker at St. Alice. No one has reached out. I have navigated a lot of this by myself. And when you mean by by yourself, tell me more about like what does that mean? So, you know, if for some reason somebody in my family has cancer, I want to be able to to hear something to to be like, okay, I remember listening to this podcast and saying these are the things that it doesn't come to you. You have to go get it. So there were I figured a social worker is going to reach out because they're going to show me resources when it comes to finances, mental health support. I mean. There are some real lows when you have cancer. There was nobody like counseling wise that reached out. So I figured the social worker would send out resources like that. Like if I needed somebody to talk to about depression, anxiety, they give you, they ask you when you go in for every checkup, like on a one to 10, are you anxious? Are you depressed? I don't feel like that's comprehensive enough. I, 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 that, that's the number one question that we ask patients uh, at any hospital that I've been to is the first thing is, are you depressed? On a scale of zero to 10, and then anxiety on zero to 10. I've never heard somebody outside of my work say, that is not helpful, like that's not. It's not, because I can say it, but I'm only saying it to a medical assistant who's in there to take my blood pressure and my temperature before the doctor comes in, and then, She's going to say, well, she feels anxious. So the physician's either going to prescribe something. Or or just a question that we ask everybody just to get a number. Which I, I feel like at times when you ask somebody as they wake up or when they're going through something this of this caliber, like the expect, I mean, yes. <laughs> like, because what do you want me to say? Of course like, I'm going to have anxiety. <laughs> of course I'm going to be depressed. It's not every day. And that's why I feel like it should be more of a longevity thing. Not how you feel today. How have you felt like through the week? And can we base it on a one through 10 scale? Yeah. It's very subjective, right? Yeah. Because my pain tolerance is much different than somebody else's pain tolerance. So when I was asked when I was having the appendicitis, 
how's your pain? I'm like, I drove myself here, but I blacked out in the shower before I came. But I'm going to say it's a five. Yeah. That, I mean, clearly it's probably more than a five. I mean, I blacked out, <laughs> passed out from yeah. the pain. But I was able to drive myself to the hospital. So my is pain that tolerance, even safe? No. <laughs> so my pain tolerance yeah, but the, is... But the, but the ambulance is going to cost me five <laughs> grand. That's what I thought. And so I don't have insurance, I'm so that. I'm going to risk it and I'll drive. Wow. Hey, guys. I'm sorry. I jumped in here a little late. Hi, Annika. <laughs> uh, welcome Anika? to Monday. Anika. Anika, sorry. I'm even getting that part <laughs> wrong. <laughs> this is how my Monday is going. Uh, yeah, I'm running a little behind today. But I've been listening to your little bits that I've caught. And gosh, I I don't know how to feel about all that. Like, how how do most of your days go? Um, I'm a pretty positive person. So lately... My last round of chemo was October 4th. I've been the worst I've ever been. I am not working. I have no energy. I can't breathe. So most of my days, I feel like, are kind of just filled with meaningless tasks. Real housewife shit. You can, you can say that. You can say that. That's what I do a lot. But prior, when I was feeling better, I still worked. I tried to wa walk as often as possible just to stay active. As much as you can. How many hours a week have you been working or were working? I was doing three days a week, so like 24 hours a week. Okay. Did Not she major. already tell us where she no. was? No. Oh, yeah. Well, I want to know that. Where, <laughs> where are you working? I mean, you, I was you talk about being middle class poor. I'm I'm right next to you, sister. Like, I, I fear getting ill. Yeah. And I do everything I can to stay well because... I, I pay for insurance, but for what? Like my deductible is thousands of dollars. Like I can't afford that. My deductible is $8,000. So I feel like that is actually kind of low compared to what the actual cost of the medical um, that I'm receiving. Some of the, I had gone through so many policies trying to find something right in the middle that comes down to it. I can afford even the deductible. Some of these deductibles were like $15,000. I'm like, That's how do you even pay that? Three ambulance rides. Yep. Yeah. And then you paid the driver who drives that 20 bucks an hour. And the person <laughs> that inserted your IV and then the person that grabbed you a towel. Yeah, how crazy. So it, yeah. It's the red tape, right? And then a lot of, you know, I've, I've quit jobs because of the red tape. And the idea of we have services to help you, but if you can't find them, we're not going to push on it. We're not going to tell you where to find them. We're not going to go out of our way to tell you how to navigate this, even when it comes to medications. We're just going to tell you that this is what we're doing. Or this is what you need to do. And it's what you need to do. Here, sign the discharge paperwork. This is what you need to do. What a bunch I of crap. I heard that a lot. Yeah. Okay, so I want to know what, what were you doing? What did you oh, do for work? I work at Interface Sanctuary. It's a homeless housing service, so I run Swing, and I get everybody checked in and fed and to bed and break up fights and do mental health evaluations. If anyone's in crisis, try to figure out how we can serve them better, and then some alcohol and drug evaluations to make sure everybody's safe enough to stay. So you did 12-hour shifts? Eight-hour shifts. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Reads. I like that how you say, like... Yeah, this is what I do. You know, it's just, you, you normalize it. But working in, in, in that community w with the homeless population, 
is extremely difficult. And I, and I, and Amy, you've had the opportunity to work in ICU and in other places too, where they're not the happiest when they're intoxicated, when they've stopped taking their medication, when the system fails them, right? Because they're supposed to get their shot, right? But if they don't have the pre-auth, they're not going to be like, wait, uh, psychosis, I'm going to put you on hold for a second. Let me make this phone call and get this authorized. And then I go to one of the hospital or one of the PCPs and they say, you don't have your healthy connections at this location, so we can't help you. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, and then you wonder why there are people who are falling in the cracks. I don't wonder. I I know why. (laughs) (laughs) I, I try to help explain to people why. Why people are falling through the cracks. I try to, it's hard to explain my job to my friends that have never worked within, with the homeless population. So, yeah. They just think that people are homeless because they want to be homeless. And I find that a lot in Boise, in, in the, the state, in the town that I grew up in here. It's very blind to real mental health crisis. They think that people are just poor. I hear that a lot. They're just poor. I'm like, that's not how it works. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to go speak at a Boise State class, Social Work 101, and I love the opportunity because I was able to get real with them that what they're going to face, it's it's not, it's the, I want to help, that, that's, 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 that's cute, that's good, thank you, but you have to push, you have to have the insight, the education to go with that belief that you can help somebody. You also have to have a thick skin. Very. And be really malleable because the variables that change their mental health state, I mean, one Uh, day. And sometimes it's like one day, one hour. Yeah, I can deal with the same individual person and their mental health, but every day it's a different reason why they're in crisis. And so you have to be able to be malleable to their needs. Yeah. Because one day, whatever you did worked is not going to work the next day. Find different approaches. And that takes a lot of willpower for, for people that go into this care. I don't think that they're really expecting the the variety. I just like, quote unquote, crazy and people's pain, putting it on a scale on of a one scale. to ten. It's, is, it's shit. One person's ten is definitely different than another person's ten. The same as the anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scale is it's so subjective and I yeah. hate the scale. I I work in I work in mental health and I work with adolescents most of the time and I don't even think I think they just kind of are an autopilot when they answer the question like when I hear someone assess their depression, well on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your depression? I don't even think they know what depression is or anxiety. Yes, I'm like tell me how you're feeling. I can't describe it. Let's do that together. So are you sad? Are you sad? You know, I ask questions like that. So yeah, when you go into a a place wherever you get healthcare and they, they have to ask you these questions because everyone has to get a screening to make sure that they're safe or do they feel like they're in danger. Is that what you're kind of like getting? No, I just honestly felt like if I say yes to any of these, then it's going to be another, another appointment or another thing or I'm going to see somebody else. That I they're just, not going to really be able to help you with anyway. I just want to move on. Mm-hmm. I just want to get out of here. Yeah. Sort of thing. Like I want to get what I'm here for and <laughs> not trigger 
something for you to or bring in somebody else. Or it's just a bunch else. of waste of time. And now I have to pay for somebody else to come in here, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. going to add see, to my bill. Well, you know, you're going to have to see another specialist. Yeah. So let's yes. make an appointment for that. Right. But what But what are we actually doing, right? Because what is the right point? now I'm having a bad day. Like today I'm having a bad day. It's, I'm not going to in an hour from now or tomorrow. So I'm not interested in seeing a specialist because I don't feel good today. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're not feeling well, like physically, it takes a toll on your mental health. And, and so, your physical health. Yeah, it's so a dream. All of it, yeah, of course, all of it's combined. And so um, when you're having a bad physical day, you're probably going to have a bad mental day. But it's not going to be every day. And if you don't really feel like it's it's helpful to be able to say that you're a 7 out of 10 on a depression scale. Like, okay, so you just asked for a number. You just wrote it down. Like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. Like, there's there's nothing they're well, going to do Well, also because I feel like they're going to be like, oh, she said a seven. She's fine. Yeah, so what's the magic number where you're not fine? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would be that? like, let, let me get close to nine, and then the next time I'll, I'll give them a one and throw off. Right. And throw them off completely. <laughs> Are they going to remember I told them nine last time? Right. Yeah. And then, and then in, in some sense is if you have that mood shift from going from a nine to a one, in the mental health, we see that as a risk. If you go from, I'm very depressed, to I'm good to go, we then say, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're no. not. Whoa, slow down. Like, why, why are you so happy? And I time? think maybe I am lucky enough that I work with a population yes. of mentally ill people. I know that I'm not clinically depressed or I'm not feeling any sort of depression. I just might be having a real low day. Yeah. So I'm not going to answer these one to the scale question because it doesn't really I don't need to see the next level right. of uh care, physician care. So Anika, right? Mm-hmm. When was the last time that you worked? Um, gosh, it's been like two weeks. Three weeks. Something like that. Yeah. But even saying that two, three weeks ago when you started this whole chemo and your journey, you said it was in on March. I started my first chemo was uh, May fourth. My last chemo was October fourth. And what was what was the results? What I mean, from what I know, I understood it's like you actually had a good prognosis, right? They're saying things were working and working. I had a really, I have a, I have a really curable, quote unquote, cancer. It's invasive ductal carcinoma stage three breast cancer. So it's spread just to one lymph node that they're very confident they can remove during the lumpectomy, which I have surgery November 4th. Four is your lucky number. Wow. You just put (laughs) this together right now. You just connected the dots. So, um, So, yeah, chemo was right on track. It was working, but then it started, the very last couple of treatments really started to make me ill where they lowered my dosage. And then I just had to have a mammogram, an MRI, and an ultrasound to see how well chemo worked because that's what the surgeon wanted before surgery, and none of my masses have changed. So chemo did not work. And how much? Are you so mad? How much did you? I mean, I I'd be. You're livid. smiling. She's smiling. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be mad for you right now. <laughs> I'm not mad. I mean, I can't be mad about it. Why not? It's not going to change anything if I were mad about it. What are you? Disappointed. 
I was annoyed. And then I'm like, okay, well, I guess that just means more and more aggressive surgery. That's what that means. That's if what it, it means to me. So do you do they give you the option of saying, hey, listen, we can do chemo or we can go surgery? I was hoping, but nobody ever mentioned that. And from what I'm understanding, having talked to a lot of breast cancer survivors, protocol used to be surgery, chemo, chemo. radiation. I guess they're trying something new. Hmm. More money. I guess. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like it's the same. Who can we ask these questions to? Yeah. And, and you know. Po- so a lot of things are evidence-based practice. So somebody some along the line may have come up with a different study. Well, it's least intrusive treatment. That's the way I, I, can, I can see it from right. a holistic approach in terms of, okay, let's not go all in, all out if we can prevent that type of surgery because it's very intrusive in the terms of now we're talking about mental health, physical. So I, I get that point, but I do feel that you should have the option A or B. I, you know, depending on the cancer, they probably give you the option because I'm not even having a mastectomy. I'm just having a lumpectomy. Oh, wow. What does that mean? I'm So, okay, a lumpectomy is just where they're going to remove all the cancerous masses. Individually. Individually, but well, all at the same time. Right. And so then they'll just take out a percentage of your breast, not the whole thing. Yeah, so they'll take out the breast tissue. Yeah. But she'll still have she'll still have the anatomy. Right. And then because they took 30% of your breast, did they replace that? No, I haven't had surgery yet. No, but just hypothetically, like once they go in. Well, that's your option. Like they initially said 30%, but now they're probably going to have to take more because none of the masses have gotten any smaller. So we'll probably be looking at like 50%. And so then I'll have to go through radiation. Then we talk about reconstruction. Then I'll see a plastic surgeon. And I have the option to make this one back to its original size as best they can or take the other one and make it smaller. I say go smaller. Heck yeah. Yeah, Amy, because you already paid three times to, to, to get to that point. <laughs> yeah, there was no insurance involved. <laughs> so they give you a couple options that way. Okay. I want to I know a little bit about, we talked um, prior to, to, the, to this um, session, not session, but, you know, podcast sesh um, about... You have to be your biggest advocate. Otherwise, you don't get the services that, that, that you actually. I don't think that you get as quality unless you yell and scream. Because if you don't, you're just another patient and they will give you the regimen. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's like a cookie cutter type of then, recipe. Once radiation's finished, let's say I'm still cancerous somewhere. Maybe it's spread. Probably start all over the exact same. Chemo, surgery, radiation. Talk to me about the medication. You, you had mentioned that you had to find creative ways of getting a medication. At, at a you guys work in the medical field. You know that um, medical or pharmaceutical reps come around. And they try to sell you, right? They give samples. They also give medical discount cards or um, medication discount cards. I'm sure they do that at hospitals as well. You'd be surprised because not too long ago, 
two weeks ago, I was talking about my medication, Jornay, ADHD medication. And the, the nurse practitioner was talking about it and she said, oh, but it's too expensive. And I'm like, what do you mean it's too expensive? It's not expensive. It's only like $25. And she said, what? And I was like, yeah, you just have to find a coupon. Yeah. And the biggest trick is getting the pharmacy to put the different codes to get that price. Otherwise, you get like $700. But you don't get this unless you put in the time to, to yeah. investigate. So that's what I had to do. But I expected maybe a social worker that was going to come reach out and be like, all right, let's figure out all these expensive medications that you need to be on. Let's find a coupon or let's see if we've got a sample. There was nothing. I literally called Bristol Myers, who makes Eliquis. It's a blood thinner. And um, he's like, we could do the GoodRx. I guess that's an app on your phone. Yeah. He's like, it'll be like 10 bucks. But since you called and you filled out the survey, I'll give you three months for free. And I was like, let's do that. Because I needed to take it for three yeah. months exactly. And I had to take it twice a day. And one bottle was $600. And they don't tell you, and they, you don't expect a price. So I went and picked up my prescription because my doctor said I needed this blood thinner because I did have a blood clot from this port that I have. And uh, he was like, it's $600. And I was like, I have insurance. And he goes, that's with insurance. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not taking this until I called. And then they got me a prescription code, and I took it back to the same pharmacy, and it was free. And they had one waiting for me for every month since then. What if you can't afford it? That's what I want to know. What are the what happens when you can't afford the medication that you're supposed to well, have? I'm clearly underinsured. I have private insurance and I have insurance for my job, and it still was making that prescription six hundred dollars. That's appalling. That is crazy. So you call your doctor and you're like, "Well, so this is how it's going down." I said, "I don't have six hundred dollars." She and goes, then, "Well, you have to take it." And I go, "Well, I'm not taking it. Right, I so, don't have six hundred dollars." Right. So what do we do? She literally said, I don't know how to help you. <gasps> exact words. I don't know how to help you. It wasn't my physician. It was just one of the nurses at the call desk. But that's the worst kind of answer you can give me. I do not know how to help you. Yeah. I will look into it. I can call you back. I'm like, clearly don't know how to help me. So I looked up Eloquist and then GoodRx came up and then a 1-800 number came up and I called and I got lucky. I feel like that is the worst answer anywhere you go. I I'll call know, you back. I don't, I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to help well, you. Well, what do you mean? When I was talking about the communication where I feel like it was lacking, unless you're loud and stand up for yourself, you're going to fall through the cracks. I had this cough, and I guess they call it chemo cough, and it would not go away. It was so harsh and so hard. I was up all night long. I called. It's a nurse help desk. She goes, okay, we'll get back to you. Two hours later, she calls and she goes, have you tried taking Claritin? I go, I am on Claritin. It should be in my chart. Have you tried taking this? I go, I'm already on it. You guys have already prescribed it to me. Have you tried taking this? I'm like, are you reading my chart? Do you even know who I am? She goes, okay, I'll call you back. Two more hours later, they call me back and all they could give me was some codeine cough syrup, which did not help. Wow. Yeah, that just makes you silly. Put if it sleep. Isn't that yeah. the purple, the purple... The scissorp. Is, is that what you call yourself? <laughs> Man, with, with some... Uh, the lean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least I got some good sleep. Yep, I slept. I, I was probably coughing in my sleep. I was. <laughs> my husband yeah. said so. It didn't stop the cough, but I was asleep. Wow. Okay, so now you, you, you just mentioned your husband. Uh, as a male, right? 
as a partner, how can we be better? If, like the audience, if, if this happens to somebody who's listening as an audience, as a, as a male, what do we do? Like, what's the support, right? Because obviously your support is perhaps not as good, but there is more resources for you. But I feel like sometimes as a male, we're like, well, what what do we do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's just there. Honestly, that's it. It's always, how do you really feel? He's like, don't bullshit me. How do you really feel? I'm like, okay. I'll, you can be, I mean, if you have a good open communi- you know, communication with your partner, I don't think it's tough, difficult at all, but he's just there like. Showing up, just show up. Yeah. There's is that is that enough support for you? Someone that's just kind of well, keep, I don't want him in check to do and, everything. But don't you feel like sometimes you need that? I have other people, so it's like the whole group. Yeah, like you need I a have group. a great support system, whether it's my job, my family, or my husband, my kid, even because sometimes you don't want your support around. Yeah, I, I I can understand that. I can relate to that, and I don't even have cancer. And I'm like, can everyone just like, everyone just leave me alone? Move <laughs> out, actually. So if everyone can move out for a couple of days, that that probably fix me. I mean, because if I asked for anything from anyone, I would get it. But I don't want to. I'm the kind of person I don't want to burden anybody. I don't want to ask anybody for too much. And that's not unique. Yeah, especially being a woman, we we tend to not ask for help, and we feel like it's especially a burden. Especially being a a woman. It that's true. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not saying that, but it just especially. We're two to one here, Mo. I, I get it. I get it. I get Slow it. Down. No, this. I'm here to learn. It's I'm a learning. mental load that we carry. <laughs> I I am learning. So Anika, tell me what your plans are. So May four, Mark, May fourth. Yeah. No, it's November. November fourth. Right, but you started May fourth, right? Um, first chemo was May fourth, and then October fourth was your last. Mm-hmm. No change. And then we have um, surgery coming up on November 4th. Which is also my wedding anniversary. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this this has to be good. Like, I, I want, like, good vibes from all this. <laughs> Send Woo. good energy November Send 4th. Send good energy Jornica. November 4th. <laughs> Where she continues on her journey with her breast cancer. So, okay, so then you seem, like, really positive and optimistic. Like, what, futuristically, what are you thinking about after May 4th, like, what what's your what's like what's next for you honestly or are you just i mean i know today's not like the best day but have you thought about that like you know after i beat this cancer i'm gonna you know all the things that you struggled with with having this cancer and the medications and the middle class and the insurance like is there any part of you that's like i you know it's it's like part of my responsibility that now i should go out and give this information to people so I honestly, I was like, maybe I should change careers. I want to be like an advocate when it comes to these medications and the underinsured. Because it's not about being insured. It's just underinsured, which is kind of this middle class. And it's this meaty part right here of people that are still going bankrupt, even though they have insurance. But I was like, well, I don't want to go to law school. <laughs> yeah. And, and and so for kids, there is that. Um, and And I always... I want to bring it up because I think it's important for for parents who are, or families who are in the same boat, that middle, I don't, I'm not poor or below Medicaid standards, but I'm also not making over $150,000 a year. There is this program called Yes Program, uh, Youth Empowerment, Youth oh, Empowerment. Yes, it's the Yes Program. Yes. Okay. 
And what they do is they will give the kid, just the kid, Medicaid to be able to get the medical needs and mental health needs more than anything. My daughter has Katie Beckett. Katie Beckett takes care of all your medical needs if it exceeds a certain amount of money. But as an adult, it's called a no. Yeah, it's <laughs> the no program. The no program. Mm-hmm. It's an I'll call you back program. Or we will serve you until we've taken all of the insurance. I mean, we will serve you as best we can with this minimal amount. Such a frustrating part. Like, it's it's so frustrating. Like, the minimum wage goes up, but that puts them in a middle class, the low middle class. So they're going to be in the same boat, you know, the, the just the crisis that we have been through. And, you know, like, the middle class just keeps getting screwed. And and maybe there is programs out there, but but we don't know what we don't know. Exactly. I That's what I was waiting for a social worker to be like. I said, okay, well, we're not going to qualify for the financial care through St. Luke's because I can see your pace, the pay scale. Mm-hmm. I know that we make more than that. Barely. So I know we're not going to qualify. So what's next? And they said. Divorce. And then you came up with I divorce, was right? Literally contemplating divorcing my husband so I could qualify for Medicaid. Which is outrageous. Yeah. Because people, they, they want People you, do that. Because the system wants you to be married because they can tax more and, and yes. more yada, 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 right? Yeah. But in your, in, in, that is very frustrating. And that's so conflicting with like your, the way that you believe in being a partner and how you have to live. Well, I had already earth. waited. We'd been together for 15 years. I didn't. I didn't really want to be married. That's a whole different story. (laughs) (laughs) We're married and we've been married for now. Well, we'll be, it'll be four years. We've been together 20 years. And you waited and and waited and waited. I just didn't want. See, don't get married. And so then this happens and I was like, (laughs) I was like, we could get divorced and I guess defraud the federal government if this is what it comes to because this is really expensive. It's your life. And it could be for the rest of my life. Because cancer generally, I mean, not always, but statistically will come back sometime in my life. So. But we're going to beat that. I'm not worried. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, the idea that you're contemplating then going through all of that, I would have to get my own apartment. Oh, boy. If we got divorced, I'd have to get my own apartment. We couldn't live together. Which we're back at square one. Yeah, right. And then you do all that. (laughs) Yeah. Just to afford getting treated for cancer yeah. in the United States. And, and obviously that's not the right answer, but no, we're looking for not. the right answer. Of course. And when I, when I brought you in, when I was like, oh my gosh, bring Anika is, I think your, your energy is you walk into a room, boom, there she is. And I'm sure you work at work and boom, there she is, right? You, you feel the room. Um, and it's because you have a lot of good energy. You produce good energy. Um, Try. Yeah. I think you do it without knowing. I effervesce. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited to see what after November 4th when you have your surgery. To we see. can always do another one. Yeah, we'll because update. I want to. I just like I feel like you, you know, people come come in and they have these like aha moments or they they were at the bottom of the bottom, like they hit rock bottom. And then they have this like huge success story where their life completely changed and it transformed. Well, and I like I, I want to see you again afterwards to see like where you're at and how, you know, how you're impacting other people. And I'm just quite grateful 
And if you have your own apartment and you're divorced. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I got divorced because I could get Medicaid. It was so great. I'm so, I'm so rich now. I drive a Porsche. But <laughs> right. I, but we really it's married stuff. It's for the birds. <laughs> don't do it. I don't. <laughs> you know, working with the community that I work with, I'm. it makes you more grateful. That's not why I went into it, to make myself feel better. But you do realize how much more you actually have when you're working with with a community that's having the lowest of the low moments. Do you feel more patient and tolerant and I guess like have more mercy for the population that you work for now? No. Okay. I'm just wondering because because I I didn't go in there feeling bad for them. Mm -hmm. I've always worked with the homeless community even when I was little. My parents have always been community related, community minded. So the homeless population was nothing new to me. I don't go in there feeling sorry for anybody. So the idea of having mercy or anything like that, because they're coming to us for a service. Mm-hmm. So I'm just there to provide them as best I can. And give them the, all the resources possible to your yes. own knowledge. That right? I know. If that I you know, know, you're going to know. Yeah. But, you know, I, I keep going back to this I don't know lady. Right. Yeah. And if 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 a client of a patient or anybody who comes to me, asks me something as a person and I respond, I don't know. That puts almost, I mean, at least to me personally, an obligation to have an answer for, for me not to be in that position ever again. I, I feel like she should have approached it like I approached my child. When she says, mom, do you know? And I don't know. I say, let's go find out together. Right. Let's, so that- let's go look. Yes. Let's learn something. And I think, okay, I don't know. But you know what? I'm going to find out. And if I still don't know, then I'm going to connect you with somebody. Who might know. Who might know. Yeah, it so was, it's kind of like a Tarzan effect, right? So, yeah. like, we don't let go of the, the last one. I honestly felt one. like she was rolling her eyes when, I don't know, you know, another yeah. one. No. And that's how I also approach work. Like, if I don't know something, if I don't have a resource for you right then and there, I will find you something. We're going to get to the next step. You're not going to stop at me with, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to leave you hanging. And I don't know, working with kids is always their biggest coping skill. So when somebody tells me, I don't know, I don't allow them to say, I don't know. I'm like, you're not allowed to tell me, I don't know. You're on the other side. Like, you're literally on the side. It is your job to know this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you're not allowed to say, I don't know. So give me anything else. Yeah. I'm, and I'm having the worst day of my life. I can't help you today. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Like, then I understand that I can go somewhere else and find that answer. But to just leave me, like, hanging, I don't know. Especially in the medical field. I mean, you're, you have to expect the nurse. If she know. To, to know Especially something. when it comes to medications. Right. Mm-hmm. Not that I don't know, I'll get back to you uh, sort of yeah. thing. But you know that that's not going to happen. No, because I'll pro- she'll probably write it, jot it down on a note somewhere. and slip it. it took me four hours, two phone calls and four hours to get coating cough syrup. Wow. But if you go to the South... <laughs> if you go to Georgia, you don't even have to go to the doctor to get that lean. Lean? You, you can yeah, get that. The, scissor, <laughs> the purple, purple drink. Purple sizzle, purple drink. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to, I, if you uh, work in the system at one of the local hospitals, ah, please come talk to us. Like, I really want to, you know, and, and I can think of a couple people that I know personally who work 
in the system and and perhaps this is the 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 connected moment between somebody who doesn't know and who wants to know uh and that's why we're here i mean we are here to connect people who have gotten the i don't know answers and the people who are making the difference in the community um so i'm urging you to come talk to us if you are in the community because yeah, we need we we do need more resources because we do work in the medical field, and a lot of unex like inexperienced people, with you know time, but also just not being or being new to mental health or whatever. Like we we don't have all the knowledge, and and the good people are actually putting the most work, and they're very busy. So mm-hmm. unless you actually know who they are, you won't get to them because they are doing the good work. And and, and, and and people generally in our field, if you're doing the good work, people don't like you. <laughs> if you're doing the good. If you're doing the good work, right? Mm-hmm. If you're actually. Going if you to- actually have the answer. So if you come to me, you better be prepared and ask me a question. You'll be prepared for the answer because a lot of times I might give you the answer that you don't want. Yeah. So, so what? So, you know, if someone says I need this or something's wrong and I'm like, yeah, and there's. Yeah. And they become lot. an inconvenience to the norm, to that red tape. Yeah, right? because I can tell you what to do, but are you willing to do it or not? Or are you willing to accept that final destination? Like this is this is your, you know, this is your baseline. So I don't well, I don't like that. Well, you don't have to like it, but now we can work with that. And yeah. people get resistant. They're like, they're like middle finger me in the head, you know, like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, like it's been to the point where in our field, like sometimes we do have to tell people, I know I'm your social worker. I know I'm the social worker at this hospital, but this is what's best. And it creates an inconvenience for the nurses, for the doctors. And that's what I'm saying. Like we sometimes have to go against the grain to accomplish those things. You need to call the, the pre-auth right now and not wait for that person to call back two weeks later and be freaking out like just do it right now right yeah or like this is this is the diagnosis or this is the the medication regimen and you have to do that to be able to maintain the level that you're at and people don't like that compliance is hard mm-hmm. especially in the mental health field because right. like i said the variables change every day to stay compl- med compliant is so hard for guests at the shelter yeah, especially for those who are well, schizophrenic. Also, you're you don't have your own home, so you're working out of this facility. I mean, the guests are trying to keep their meds together, trying to keep their stuff together. I mean, just you know, within a toiletry like a gallon Ziploc yeah. bag is probably difficult. I'm grateful for all the caseworkers that I work with. These women are amazing, and they get med management down to a fine science. It, I'm so grateful for it. This will be part A of yes. this interview um, because we are going to be bringing you in hopefully May 4th. No, November 4th. Oh, no, no, that's no, no, your that's surgery. That's you started oh, okay. in, in, on May uh, 4th, We want to do a year. And, and maybe before. Look, if you, if I, if you come <laughs> say, hey, I'm killing it. It's great. It'll be good. But we'll bring you in some four. Okay. Some four. Do part B. <laughs> to see how you were able to connect the dots. And, and hopefully we have more answers from the community to be able to say, you know, after, after or maybe that you com- have answers for us yeah. that we can give to more people because you're, you know, this is not a unique situation. No, this is the one thing when I was diagnosed, I'm not special. 
millions of people have cancer and they're doing a way better job at fighting it and figuring it out than I am. And so I don't go into it like I don't feel bad for myself. I'm just just another one. Yeah. But you are the one who has two insurances who are are are, are doing more than perhaps somebody who you know who doesn't has ha- doesn't have that history of I don't know like if I was a millionaire and you don't you wouldn't have to be dealing with this stuff in terms of insurance and going through all the hoops and yeah you could just be sick and that's all you have to worry about is being yeah. sick I feel like that's just like an opportunity yeah for you and for other people but that's what because, makes you special yeah so that <laughs> that does make you special <laughs> I think that you being able to give this information and us getting out to getting it out to people that might be you know, just hanging by a thread because their bad day is is not just a bad day. Like it, it may be the last day for them because they just can't take it anymore. I think that you have more hidden talents than you think. <laughs> so you so, deserve the trophy. Yeah. You have gotten a trophy <laughs> no, from no, that. No, everyone no, gets no, a trophy. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> uh, well, so thank you so much yeah, for my joining pleasure. us. And it was, it uh, I hope it was helpful. It was tremendously helpful. Absolutely. And it's humbling. It's very humbling for me. For everybody. And, and more than anything, for other people to, to hear your story and to to be able to relate one day. And, and if somebody hears this, be able to like, okay, all right, I have to do the work. Yeah, sometimes you just got to do the, the work. Yeah. Yep. I'm really excited to have you back to see where we're yeah, at. Yeah, part B coming 2022. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining in this morning. Happy Monday. You guys have a great week and we can't wait to come back next week and give you another special guest. Adios.